morning, church family. It's, it's great to be back. Um, we're on vacation for the last couple of weeks, and I'm so grateful for uh, Pastor Ron and Pastor Kenny bringing the word to, to a church family. And man, we're blessed. We have brothers that could preach the word, and I'm so grateful, faithfully preaching God's word and giving you a, another piece of Christ. So thankful for that. And uh, I just want to kind of uh, talk about something, and before we get into the sermon, in, in, in the sense of how we refer to worship service and Sunday. I'd like us to start referring to Sunday service and Sunday as the Lord's Day because it is the Lord's Day. And have you ever thought to yourself, because I grew up in the, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up going to Seventh-day Adventist church, and they're very big on you need to worship on Saturday. It's the seventh day. The Ten Commandments says to rest. God rested on the seventh day. This is the day. And for a while, and as I became a believer and I started worshiping on Sundays, I had this conflict. Man, are we just a bunch of compromisers and we just fit this into our American schedules? I mean, do you guys ever think that? I thought that. So I needed to kind of get some, to reconcile this in my mind. And the reason why we worship on, the sun, on Sunday instead of the Saturday is because Christ was resurrected on the first day. This is the Lord's day. And Christ's resurrection changed absolutely everything. That was a game changer. We're different. He fulfilled the law. This is why we worship on the Lord's day. And this is about worship. And as Pastor Kenny talked about how Mary broke the, the, the flask and poured the oil, uh, the fragrance and, of oil on Jesus and anointed him at, at his feet. And the Bible says the fragrance filled the room. The aroma of worship filled the room. So let's be very clear, church family. We come here to worship Jesus. This is about Jesus Yes, we may have some preferences. Yes, we may have some likes. Yes, about certain music and certain things and all those things kind of, we, we're human, we notice these things, but at the end of the day, this is about Christ. This is that aroma. Is this going up to the Lord right now, right? This is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. And you say, Pastor Rocky, isn't every day supposed to be the Lord's day? Amen. But I'll start with, let's just have one day at least being fully God's day, right? Amen. But we got to start someplace if you're not there yet. You know, I'm, I'm, for me, it's a constant thing. You know, and so anyway, this is the Lord's Day. Welcome to the Lord's Day. And uh, let me just pray before we get into the message. I'm so fired up to be back on the pulpit and you don't understand. My kids and wife have been getting sermons every day. <laughs> so let me just pray. Father, we thank you. You are so good. I thank you for the brothers, the teamwork that it is to be able to preach your word. Thank you for Ron and Kenny faithfully preaching your word. And God, I pray the word, the work of your word is still ruminating and working in the hearts of us right now that we're, we're lifted up to another level of knowledge and another level of clarity of who you are, Lord Jesus, through their preaching. So, Father, I thank you for John chapter 12, verse 12, where Jesus, you come riding on the donkey into Jerusalem. Thank you for this very familiar passage. Thank you for documenting this in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's how important this event was. So, Father God, I pray we'll have a clear picture of your son, the king, and what it means to sit under the king. And I pray, Lord, that you will take us back in time 2,000 years ago as if we're there, experiencing the king coming riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, 
And what would be stirring in our hearts? What will we be thinking as we see Saul the king? Perhaps as we're in the crowd. So Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray your word will be preached faithfully. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we believe in the power of your Holy Spirit that you open our hearts and minds to see your son more clearly. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will be at a John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 12. Or if you have your uh, phones or your devices, uh, click on to John chapter 12. I'll be preaching on the NASB version, the New American Standard Bible. A little bit of context as you thumb through to get to John. John is the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Jesus just raised Lazarus. All right, he did the most incredible sign miracle, and his popularity is at an all-time high. His approval rating, his popularity is sky high right now. He has people following him, and the Pharisees, as Pastor Ron preached on, are, is threatened. And they, are, they have a murderous plot to kill Jesus now. We need to get rid of this guy. He's threatening us. And then Jesus travels uh, basically almost a mile and a half west. Bethany, where, where this dinner happened that Pastor Kenny preached on, is about 1.5 miles east of Jerusalem. So here, there he is. He's making a mile and a half march to Jerusalem. And here he is coming up to the Mount of Olives, looking at Jerusalem, coming down the Kidron Valley, entering to the east side of Jerusalem. I can see it right now. Maybe someday we'll take a trip there. Okay, And this sets the stage for the most majestic, most climactic, most monumental scene of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's a riot. It's an, it's an incredible scene. The intensity is there. And now, behold, your king is coming. So let's rise as we re read John chapter 12. Put your minds and hearts into this situation. I'll try to add as much clarity as possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 12, God's word says this. Verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Verse 14, Uncle Andy read this. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when, they, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed a sign. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to love your son more. Become like your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So I was trying to do my best to kind of give you a picture of what this looked like. And growing up, when I heard this story, and it's a very familiar story for many of us, right? We, we may even hear it once a year preached on Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. And I, I, in my mind as a boy, I used to think he's riding on a donkey. I could picture that. But, you know, there's maybe a few hundred people saying, hey, here's Jesus, Hosanna. 
But what came to my mind as I was studying this even more was how, uh, how our nation celebrates a presidential inauguration. Here's a picture here from 2009 when President Barack Obama became the president. They estimated about 1.8 million people were there flooding Washington, D.C. It's packed. And here he is giving the inaugural address, his speech to the masses at, Capitol, at the Capitol building in D.C. Massive crowds was gathered there. And the atmosphere is of hope, excitement, expectation, anticipation for a better America, for, for better days ahead of us. President Trump says, make America great again, right? And so there's, this is the expectation. There's a lot of fanfare, a lot of hype. In essence, people are gathered there to say, is this the guy that's going to make our economy better? Is this the guy that's going to make our tax situation better? Is this the man that's going to give us health care for everybody? Is this the man that's going to handle racism in our country and, and, and have some social reforms happening in our country and our nation? Or if you're a Christian, is this the man that's going to reinstate Judeo-Christian values to make America Christian again? Right? Is this the one? Is this the one? That, is this the one? This is the intensity, probably even more, that was felt in Jerusalem. As Jesus came, this is the next day, next day from the dinner that they had with, uh, with uh, Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, Jesus is walking in. This is a Sunday, we believe. And the feast during the time, is this Passover? That's why there's millions of people here. D.A. Carson, a, John, a Gospel of John scholar, quotes a, a man named Josephus, who was a Roman historian of the time. Josephus estimated during one of the Passovers, 2.7 million people flooded to Jerusalem from all around the world. Pilgrims from all around the world were coming to Jerusalem, 2.7. Even this is an overestimation, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, were there. This is an intense scene, maybe similar to Washington, D.C. that I just showed you. The, the crowd was large, and Passover was the biggest holiday, be, the biggest festival for the Jewish people. And not only that, Passover was emblematic of liberation. Passover, if you remember way back in Exodus, the Passover was celebrated when God rescued Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt. There were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and now be, they were liberated. That's why the Israelites celebrated Passover. So this is, it's like 4th of July for us, but even more intense. Imagine 4th of July, there's a feeling of independence, but at the same time, another country is ruling over America. Another country, is sit, a ruler is sitting in Washington, D.C., the, the capital. But we're celebrating 4th of July. What does that mean? Seems kind of hollow, doesn't it? So, and, and now that, Jesus is coming. The one who raises people from the dead is coming. And then they have this big reaction by the crowd. Verse 13, I'm going to read this. They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, save now, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The people wanted to make Jesus the next king. And this was a reenactment of something that happened perhaps two centuries earlier. When another great leader, Simon Maccabeus, a Jewish man, helped liberate Israel and came into Jerusalem, they waved the palm branches. They sang the same psalm, Psalms 118, 26, saying, Hosanna, 
Because Simon Maccabeus helped lead a revolt that got rid of the Seleucid Empire. And that's where Israel got its independence back. So the people were under bondage, currently under Rome. If it wasn't Greece, now it's Rome. There's always a new kid on the block. Rome was oppressing Israel now. And what does that mean? That means that they taxed them. That means they took away their national identity. They took away their freedoms. They took away all those things. And they wanted to make Jesus king. How do, I, how do we know this? They tried to make Jesus king for feeding 5,000 people back in John 6. They tried to make Jesus king. Right? So this is a second time in the reenactment of when they made Simon Maccabeus the next king, the next leader of Israel. Same thing's happening right now. So one of the responses that I, and we're going to look at three responses that the people had towards the coming king. The first response is this. Jesus will give me my best life now. Let me say that again. Jesus will give me my best life right now on this earth. They're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. Save from what, Israelites? Like we talked about, save us like Simon Maccabeus. Save us from the Roman Empire. Give us our national identity back. Give us our money back. Give us our freedom back. Give us our dignity back. We don't want to live under these uh, Gentiles. We don't want, we're tired of being ruled by other people in our national capital. They wanted Jesus to be a political Messiah, another coming of Simon Maccabeus. They're saying, give us our best life now. I'm banking on today. I'm banking on my life in Jerusalem and Israel. Give us our best life now. So as they saw the coming king, that's what they wanted. That's their expectation. No different in some ways than how we look to our next president or the current president. Make my life better now. They just saw him as just another political figure perhaps. But something happened in John chapter 6. I told you when they tried to make him king for the first time after he fed the 5,000, he confronts the big crowd that was coming to him and says, hey, look, the only reason why you're coming after me is because you're fed. The only reason why you want me is because I fed you food. Your bellies are full. It may be a different reason, but at the same root, though. They didn't want Jesus as king. They wanted just their best life now. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters and friends, do you merely want your best life now? Is that where your focus is at? Do you follow Jesus or appear to follow Jesus merely so that he could help you with your best life now? Do you merely want Jesus to handle the Romans in your life? Everyone has a Rome in their life. If it wasn't Rome, it was Greece. If it wasn't Rome, it's your boss at work. If it isn't Rome, it could be a hard spouse. If it isn't Rome, it could be some kind of illness. Real things, hard things. If it's not Rome, it could be a hard relationship that you're struggling with. If it isn't Rome, it could be your finances. We all got our Romes. We all got our trials. We all want smoother lives. I get that. I want that too. But is this the reason why you're coming to Christ? A little bit of DNA about the crowd, this whole crowd that was screaming for Jesus to save them. 
The crowd is everywhere. You can go to D.C. and find a crowd. You can find a crowd outside at this mall. You can find the crowd right here in, in, in our church sanctuary on the Lord's Day. Who doesn't want a smoother life? Even non-believers want a smooth life, right? Who doesn't want a good marriage? Who doesn't want health? Who doesn't want to be wealthy? Who doesn't want an easy retirement? Who doesn't want these things? Even non-believers want these things. The crowd is nameless and impersonal. You just, as you saw in some of the, the pictures, it's just a glob of people. You don't see faces. You don't see names. It's just nameless, faceless, not committed. The crowd just gets caught up in the hype, and the crowd is incredibly fickle. Fickle. So what did the crowd do when Jesus did not give them their best life now? What did the crowd do? Think about this is Palm Sunday. By Friday, Jesus will be nailed on the cross. That crowd that was screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus is the king. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You see, the danger in that is that they never wanted Christ. They just wanted freedom. They just want liberation. They want national identity. They want better taxes. The problem is if you're sitting in here today right now as one of the crowd members, when Jesus doesn't come through, you have a hardship, you have a breakup, you get ill, you don't heal the way you want to, you will deny him just like these crowd members did. You'll just deny him. He said, like, you know what, I'll abandon him too. That's the, that's the warning. That's the first response. Second response, let's go to the second response. Jesus is coming in, the crowd is there, millions of people are there perhaps. First response, Jesus will give me my best life now. Second response, Jesus is a threat to my best life now. Let me say that again. Jesus is a threat to my best life now. The Pharisees, hear me now, the Pharisees had what they wanted already. The Pharisees are in amongst this group too. Jesus' popularity is at an all-time high. It's skyrocketing. His approval ratings are out the roof. Everyone loves him. He's the miracle worker. He's the one that could raise people from the dead. No one could do that. He must be special. I'm going to follow him. And here's a picture of, a, of JFK at his inaugural speech. I mean, you got a lot of people who are supporters. But if I'm one of the people in the background, I'm thinking to myself, and you could be in the crowd too, will this man help or hurt my cause? Will this man help or hurt my political agenda? Will this man hurt or help my business dreams and hopes? Will this man help or hurt me being become the next president of the United States of America? The Pharisees were in control. They're evaluating the situation, assessing the situation. Whoa, they're following him. He is a threat to what we have. They, keep in mind, the Pharisees were at the top. They were, they had, they had, they were the religious rulers of the day. They had the clout. They had the influence, the respect, the control. They ran the temple system. Rome let them have the temple system still, so they didn't mind Rome as much as long as they had their world, the temple, in order. They had the rituals. I mean, they had what they wanted. 
They weren't like the crowd necessarily. I don't know if, I don't know if they liked Rome, but they, they allowed Rome to happen in their minds because they still got what they wanted. They saw Jesus as a threat. DNA of the Pharisees, they're ruthless. They will absolutely do whatever and be committed to secure their cause. Let's look to verse 19 here with me of John 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, they're talking amongst each other. They're scheming amongst one another. They understand one another. They understand each other's fears and concerns. We got to keep this thing going. You see that you are not doing any good. We need to do something about it. We need to act faster. We need to do something. There's a lot of striving. There's a lot of self-effort there. We need to do whatever we can to secure our kingdom. We need to do whatever it takes to secure our best life now. And they're also filled with fear. Look at this hyperbole here. You know what a hyperbole is? My, Troy knows. And I was shocked. I was like, man, that's good. Hyperbole is like a massive exaggeration, right? Look at what, they, look what he says. Look at the end of 19. Look, the world has gone after him. That's an exaggeration. They're in Jerusalem. Now their world has gone after him because that's the capital. That's the Mecca of Judaism. And now they're following him. Yes, in a sense, their world is going after them. But they were fearful people because their identity was rooted in something absolutely fleeting. I mean, their, their, their whole identity, their thing was in their hands clenched and they could feel their influence. They could feel the control slipping out of their fingers like sand is just disappearing and they're panicking. This is what happens you take it to that hyperbolic level where you're like, oh, man, in your mind, this is what's happening. This is what happens when your world is threatened, when your best life now is threatened. If you're there that Palm Sunday, Jesus riding on a donkey, would you see him as a threat? Is Jesus a threat to your best life now? Do you have everything rigged now? You have all your high school and your college plans set. You have your uh, retirement set. You have how you got, have you mapped out your career perfectly? This is how I'm going to get to where I need to get. This is the house I want to live in. Finances. This is, this is how I'm going to construct my place where I'm going to. Is Jesus a threat to you? When Pastor Dan is saying, hey, we get to worship Christ with our money and our finances, is that like jolt? You're like, nuh-uh. Perhaps Jesus is a threat because Jesus commands that too. Pharisees, that religious, religiosity and religious influence was at a premium. I mean, the, the whole thing, the whole nation of Israel was a theocracy, meaning God was at one time the head of the whole nation. So religiosity was massive. In our country, it's finances. In our country, it's our own reputation. It's things like that. It's education. These are the things. I got my world in order. Don't mess with that Jesus. I show up on Sunday, but don't mess with that. Is Jesus a threat? Do you keep Jesus at arm length? You give him the stiff arm. You give him the Heisman. You, you, know, you, keep, him at a, you keep him at a Heisman as a trophy. Ladies, best college football player in the, on the planet for that year or so. 
I'm coachable. People ask me, you make references that people don't understand, so I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) But guess what? The Pharisees weren't wrong. (laughs) They were absolutely right. Jesus is absolutely a threat to their best life now. You better believe it. And actually, he's a threat to your best life now as well. They were right. And what do they end up doing? They crucified him. They killed him. So if, if Jesus is a threat to your best life, no, no, Jesus is my Savior, but he isn't Lord, and you keep him at arm length, you've already rejected him. You have not come to him on his terms. You've already denied him. Third response. Jesus' first response, Jesus will give me my best life now. Second response, Jesus is a threat to my best life now. Third response, I updated this, so it might be a little bit different from the slide behind me. Jesus is my best life, period. Jesus is my life. Let's go to the disciples here, verse 16 here. And I think there's incredible uh, uh, encouragement there. And what I mean by that is perhaps right now you're sitting there, Pastor Rocky, I mean, I came here for some encouragement. But man, you're showing me that I'm part of the crowd. Perhaps the Spirit of God is like saying, I am consumed with living for this world right now. Or perhaps you're like sitting there like, uh-uh, I'm not going to give up this part of my life. I ain't hold it, give into my finances. I'm not going to give this area of sexual purity in my life. I ain't going to give that up. Perhaps you're sitting here right now. Perhaps you identify with group one, two, or even a combination of the two. I know at times I do as well. I know I do as well. Perhaps you're like, kind of like, ah. But look at verse 16. I think the scriptures are so encouraging. Very much in character with Christ coming on, riding on the donkey. Verse 16, these things, these prophecies, these things that Jesus was doing, these things that people were shouting, his disciples, the 12 or the 11, not counting Judas, did not understand at the first. But we know how the story ends for the disciples. They do get it eventually, don't they? Perhaps you're living in an inappropriate relationship right now. You're like, right now it's hitting you. Finally, finally the Spirit of God is zapping you in your heart, ripping your heart, just right, gripping your heart, as we say in our family, is gripping your heart. And you're like, I- I've been number two this whole time. I've been keeping him at arm length. I've been kind of showing up on Sunday, but this hasn't been the Lord's Day for me. This has just been Sunday. Check, I went to the church service. But look at the whole game changer here. But, verse 16 as well. But, but is good. It's always a transition in the scripture. But, when Jesus was glorified. That is the Rosetta Stone. That is the key. That is the decoder ring. That, that shows you everything. That, this is the key piece of information to decipher all of human history and the scriptures. Christ's death resurrection, ascension to the right hand of God, glorification when he sends the the Holy Spirit to reside in us, then we start seeing the scriptures and saying, wow, Jesus, I see it's been all about you this whole time. Wow, Jesus, I see that you did really die and rise again from the grave. The disciples didn't even get it at the time. And they spent three years with him the whole time. 
So brothers and sisters and friends, if you're not even a Christian in here, maybe you've been coming here for 40 years and you're realizing, I'm not a Christian. I just like the people here. I like the music. You might be that person. Please listen to me right now. There is hope. The idea is this pray to God that he will allow you to see his son glorified. That he died, he rose again, he's ascended to heaven, and he's sitting at the throne of heaven right now as we looked at our Look to Christ series. You have that decoder happen in your mind, then you'll see that Jesus is your life. Period. And everything else was second, third, fourth, on down. I think that's, verse 16 is incredibly encouraging if, if you're sitting there right now and you identify one and two. And perhaps you go, no, Jesus is my life. I say this also to encourage you, to strengthen up your faith, to give you clarity in what you actually believe, Jesus is king. And you go, I believe that. Praise God. I live for him. Praise God. I do this to encourage you too, to gird up, put fire in your bones that you are for Christ. I want to cheerlead for you. I'm a natural cheerleader. You know what I mean? This is how I am. Some of the best coaching happens when just cheerleading. You know, I get the guys fired up to run through a wall. And then that's where I'm trying to, through the scriptures, give you fire in your bones. Because it isn't my word or my intensity. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit as you get the word into your hearts that you see that Jesus is glorified. And you start understanding the scriptures. You start understanding who you are in Christ. Now let's take another look. In, in, in my notes at the top, always says preach Christ. Okay, We've been preaching a lot about the crowd, the Pharisees, the disciples. We're going to end it with Jesus. If you're new here, you belong here if you think you're looking to know Christ more. If you want the word preach, that's what you're going to get here. You belong here. If that's what you want, you're going to get that by God's grace, as, the other, as these other brothers did last two weeks. Verse 14. Let's take a look at the king here, okay? Brother Andy preached on it to the children. God, by God's providence, you hear this like a third time here. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. No fear. Fear not, evergreen SGV. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is here. This is 2,000 years ago. Your king is here. Seated on a donkey's colt. Not even on the donkey, but the donkey's child. A young Eeyore, baby Eeyore, as Uncle Andy said, right? Fear not, evergreen SGV. Behold, your king is here. How do you respond right now? He chose a donkey. The crowd wanted him to come on that white horse that Andy showed. White war horse to destroy everybody. That's what the crowd would have preferred. Jesus came from more than old Jerusalem. Jesus came from new eternal Jerusalem. He came for you and me. He came for you and me. Just like other presidents, they've come and gone. Other guys will come and go. Maybe we'll have a woman president someday. I don't know, but they're, they're going to come and go. We have other empires. Rome is no longer around. 
We have other empires showing up. Jesus is going for the eternal empire. He comes humbly on a donkey, not with a sword, but offering peace. That's why it's fear not evergreen SUV if you're sitting here right now as an unregenerate person. It's the greatest news there. I am coming, Jesus is saying, with an olive branch of peace, asking you, pleading with you through the preacher, through the preaching of the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to come to him. He's summoning you today. He's calling you today. He's drafting you today to join his team, to be part of his family. Humbly on, on a donkey. I mean, what would you do if you had all that momentum? What, would you, what have you done at work when your popularity, when your, your branding and all that stuff is at all time high? Don't you capitalize on that? And kind of justify, say, hey, I'm doing this for God's glory? Perhaps. But would you ever come riding on a donkey and say, no, 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 I'm going to let someone else have the glory? I mean, this is Jesus. Jesus could have had that right then and there. He goes, no, no, no. I'm competing. I'm being obedient. I got a bigger plan in mind. I want eternity. And I want you, Evergreen SUV. The first two groups had a small view of Christ. Very earthly view. Jesus had an eternal cosmic view of his kingdom. And he comes on a donkey. Fear not, evergreen. I'm coming to you in a peaceful posture. My sword isn't drawn yet. You may be thinking, Pastor, why are you preaching to us as if we're headed towards hell? Pastor, can't you uplift us? Pastor, you've been gone two weeks. Are you angry or something? <laughs> well, let me tell you something that grips my heart, okay? And Hebrews 13, 17, this should grip all the pastor's heart. In some ways, some member, uh, to some levels, the members of our board leadership. It says that we keep watch over your souls as if we will give an account to Christ someday how we took care of these souls. So if I act like it's, it's business as usual and we don't touch upon these things, and exhort and to have you look at your life before Christ. I'm accountable for that. We are accountable for that, the leadership. At the end of the day, you've been addressed. Everyone, man and woman, child, hopefully if you can understand. You're accountable now. I, I have nothing to do with anybody's regeneration. The Spirit of God will give you rebirth. But perhaps if you're troubled right now, you're not uneasy right now, perhaps you need to do business with the Lord right now. Perhaps. And do it today, not tomorrow. I have a massive burden for this church family. This is why we left. That's why we're here. Not everyone in this room is saved. Let me say that again. Not everyone in this room is saved. Psalms 2.12 talks about this. In Psalms 1 and 2 are very evangelistic. Psalms 2.12 talks about get, pay homage to the king, pay homage to the son. In effect, throw yourself at the feet of the son, grab hold of his feet like Mary did, and start kissing his feet because the son is offering you peace right now. Psalms 2.12 goes on and transition rather quickly. 
and says, because wrath is coming. Wrath of God is coming. For now I am offering you peace. And he's just throw yourself at his feet, kiss his feet. You're mine. You're my life. You're worth it, Jesus. Please accept the peace that he offers today. Do not settle for your best life now. Revelation 19, as we preached on the Look to Christ series, he's coming on the white horse. He is coming on a white horse with a sword drawn to destroy all of his enemies. If you are not saved, you will be seen as an enemy. He will destroy you, send you to eternal hell and destruction and punishment forever. At that point, you will not have an opportunity to respond to the king riding on the donkey. If you die tonight, you will see the king as an enemy and he will send you to eternal hell. You will not be able to respond to the king sitting on a donkey like he is right now. This is life and death for me. I, like I said, I don't, I don't have a problem sleeping at night. However, I do have a burden for the church family. Make sure if you come here today that you are absolutely clear about your place with Christ. By the time you leave this building, it'd be absolutely crystal clear that I am in Christ. He is my king. He is my friend. He liberated me from my sin problem. Make sure you reconcile that right now, today. As Pastor Dan was allowing us to have time to pray, 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 pray. Say, Lord, am I with you? Be more concerned about going to heaven than going to lunch. Okay? It's a real statement. Do not think about that yet. That's not it. You can worship Christ eating lunch, no question. I'm the best of eaters, but right now is not that time. Right now you're in the presence of God because his word is being preached by the power of his Holy Spirit. I promise you that right now. This is the holiest hour of your, of your week. Not because of me, but because of the work or the word. Find me, find another pastor, find a board member. If you have a question, if this has gripped your heart today, find one of us, please. This is why we're here. This is why we want to be here with you. You're the exact reason why we're here. Every single one of you. You're the reason why the leadership of the church is here. Pastors to lay leaders to myself to any future elders. You're the reason why I studied the scriptures because I want to be able to preach a faithful message to you. You're the reason why I stand here and preach. This is how important this is. This is how Christ comes riding on a donkey offering peace. Let me read that again. Fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That was prophecy from Zechariah 9. We're reading it backwards, looking backwards into history. Fear not, evergreen SGV. Behold, your king is here, still seated on a donkey offering peace. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And the only way you're going to come to him as your Lord, as your Savior, is if you realize you have no other alternative. 
that you know you're going to burn in eternal, eternal hell without him as your Lord and Savior. No more pretending. No more worrying about what people think. No more worrying about what your kids think, your wife thinks, your husband thinks, co-workers think. What does Christ know? That's where I'm encouraging you. This is a, this is a, this is a word of encouragement. The disciples didn't get it at the time. Disciples didn't get it, but they did get it. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer, a blessing for the church family. First of all, thank you for the privilege of doing this. I never get tired of this. I, I never see this as a burden. I just think to myself, why do I get to do this? I, I just so grateful. It's how I felt when I was coaching. I, I just couldn't believe I got to do what I got to do. Same thing, no different. So thank you, my church family. Let's pray. Let me bless you in prayer. I want, I want to pray for the church family here. Father, I thank you for the church family here at Evergreen SGV. Your word is so good. John 12, 12 through 19 is so clear. There's massive groups, millions that didn't get it. There's an elite group that didn't get it. But even now that elite group, some got it, Nicodemus. Even now that massive millions of group, some got it, thousands were saved in the book of Acts. Even the disciples didn't get it, but they eventually, 11 of them got it. So, Father God, I pray for a blessing upon this church family. Allow me, as a pastor of the church, your under-shepherd to bless your people here. I pray for those who know that they are in Christ, in you, that they have a greater clarity in their, what they actually believe. This will bring greater assurance of their eternal salvation in you, Lord Jesus. I pray for less fear, more conviction, and more strength, and, and more courage to live out the life that you call us to live. Father, I pray for a greater level of gratitude for us who are in you. Wow, Jesus, you died for me, and you came out riding on the donkey. We didn't have to. I pray this hits us, and we're so grateful to you, and this moves us to worship you at a deeper level on the Lord's day and every day. Father, I pray a special prayer for those right now that do not know you. They may know of you. They may have heard you. They may have seen you riding on the donkey. They may have been around your people. They may have been around great music, great worship times. But Lord, I pray for those who are unregenerate right now, who perhaps wanted you just for their best life now, perhaps even kept you at an arm length because you are a threat to their best life now. I pray, Lord, that they would know that you are life itself. Spirit of God, I pray you pour on them, open their hearts to see, Jesus, that you are glorious. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the one who's sitting at the throne where all of eternity we'll be worshiping and singing to you. You are the one that's going to come in on a white stallion with a sword drawn to reclaim your kingdom, to establish new Jerusalem forever. So, Father, I thank you. I pray for these right now. Please save them now. Remove the best life now. Give them their best life now into eternity. Please do this now. And, Father, I pray for if anyone was pricked to their conscience to give their lives to you, that they will come see us so we could help walk with them, help uh, disciple them. Help love on them. Help them be part of the body of Christ. Absolutely connected. Absolutely fed. Absolutely involved in serving your body here. Serving you, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. 
Thank you, Father, for this immense privilege of preaching a word. By your spirit, I pray that you are glorified. I pray your saints were edified. I pray the lost were found today. In Jesus' name, amen.